0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tjasa Zaitz. We covered many countries this year, from Taiwan, the UK, Canada, Spain, Germany, Israel, and more. A few years ago, I published an interview with Stefan Buttigieg. A digital health evangelist from Malta, who at the time said that Malta is a great test bed for digital health startups interested in entering Europe. In this episode, we'll revisit the island in a discussion with Ryan Gretsch, radiology registrar from Malta who works in the UK. Ryan talked about the benefits of running a digital health startup in Malta. Made a few comparisons between healthcare in the UK and Malta and also shared his views on telemedicine and digital health since he's also the co-founder of Digital Health Malta. Ryan is among other things an advisor to the MedTech World Conference which will take place between 17th and 20th of November live in Malta. To visit the conference, Listen to the end of the discussion where Ryan shared how you can get a nice discount on your ticket. Next week, we'll finally start the series about digital health in the Nordics. So stay tuned and also visit our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Hi, nice to have you here. You're the co-founder of Digital Health Malta. And today we're going to talk about Malta a little bit. Also, about the UK, which is where you currently are. But before diving into comparisons between the two ecosystems, let's talk about the small island in Europe. Malta only has half a million people, but uh, it's uh, still quite uh, vibrant in terms of digital health.
1: So, uh, when it comes to Malta, as you rightly said, it's around about half a million people I uh, think that its small size is actually an advantage to, to us going digital in the first place. So if you take that from a company or, uh, let's say, startup perspective, I think that the Maltese population has, first of all, very similar disease heterogeneity to the rest of the Western world. I think it has great infrastructure. And, and you know, this includes internet connectivity, internet-capable devices per capita, which I think is quite high in Malta. And also we have a publicly funded NHS or National Health Service in Malta as well, which is going to be one main entity that all patients need to go through. And apart from that, one of our main languages is actually English. Because of that, I think Malta is well placed for companies to either use Malta as a test base for their products, where they can scale quite fast from that, or even just set up shop in Malta as as an additional market I think then from the other point to address what what you asked as well, so more than the past couple of months has been rapidly adopting digital practices in most of its other industrial sectors, but specifically in healthcare as well. We've got our first um, electronic health record now, we've got e-prescriptions, and I think the government has also made quite a number of statements recently and indications that we are only just at the start of this kind of heavy investment in MedTech per se. And perhaps also thanks to organizations like Digital Health Malt, I think that through our networking, our conferences and kind of exhibitions, and even kind of investment from the government in healthcare conventions itself, one of which is MAPDAC water coming up in November, I think that we're just at the start of our international, hopefully, influence as well.
0: How did you uh, end up in the UK? You are a training physician, a specialist trainee in radiology, so you can make a comparison to the system in the UK as well. It's also NHS publicly funded. I'm a
1: radiology trainee, currently based in, in the UK, and like you've also pointed out, I think the UK want to have similar healthcare system and both, primarily both that they are publicly funded healthcare system, and so healthcare is generally free at the point of care. Um, in fact, our our kind of foundation program slash internship is um, very similar to the UK, and more than the fact that it's officially endorsed by the UK foundation program, and we use pretty much very similar guidelines as well. So for for me moving, I think it was primarily I just wanted to experience healthcare in a different country. I wanted to experience different diseases perhaps and treatments that may not be available in Malta for some reason or another. And admittedly, because of the similarities I've just mentioned, I think that the transition was not as shocking as, as, as I thought it was going to be. It was not really much of an adjustment, primarily because of the high level of healthcare that both countries provide and offer. I think that actually this whole experience and this whole transition has made me realize how important it is to try and standardize care globally. Again, I think that technology can actually be an important key in standardizing care globally. Say, telemedicine offers the opportunity for someone who lives in a very remote region to have access to the same specialist that someone living in London does. So I think this transition and this comparison really has outlined to me, delivery of care would be so much simpler if it's similar in different regions. I know that obviously some countries might not have the same resources as others, but I think it's something that we should push and strive to have as much as possible you know, this global standardization of care.
0: And um, what attracted you to digital health in the first place? As I mentioned, you're a physician. There's a lot of doctors that go into entrepreneurship because they either feel that they can have a larger impact uh, with a solution that's going to help thousands of patients. Uh, in comparison to just working with patients one-on-one. It's also interesting to me that I know quite a few radiologists that somehow land in healthcare IT and look for solutions. If I'm
1: being honest, the the first thing that drove me to digital health is I thought it was cool. and, And because I've always been enticed by technology and what it can do, I think it was only natural for me to be attracted to that part of of, of the healthcare industry, which admittedly as a medical student, I didn't even know it really existed. But the more I got to know what digital healthcare means and what it can do, the more I started to realize how incredibly and useful it actually can be. And I remember, I think around four years ago, I had this kind of eureka moment where I realized that digital health can actually have, can actually be one of the most important keys in solving the healthcare problems. I think globally we have an aging population. Increasingly, both me, and my colleagues, um, and I presume this is repeated all over the, the world, we're seeing increasingly complex cases. We're managing to treat, for example, congenital heart diseases that 30 or 40 years ago, we wouldn't even think that they would live beyond the age of 10 or 15. So again, we're, we're seeing all of this complexity, which automatically drives... The increase in cost of healthcare delivery and i think again something that has been brewing for quite some time but perhaps COVID pushed on is that we have a workforce problem in in, in healthcare as well and, and all of this is really the perfect storm which kind of can spell serious trouble i think in the near future but yes like i've said i think the fact that probably one of the most important solution is tech in this kind of looming crisis, which has attracted me to push more and more my career towards a part in, in, in tech. In terms of radiology, like you're, you write this, I think as a specialty in itself, it's one of the most tech-oriented specialities. We usually get the coolest gadgets first, and I think it's been quite welcoming in innovation as well. And I think it's at the forefront of artificial intelligence innovation in, in healthcare
0: and how did you observe the the acceleration of digitalization during the pandemic? there's been a sense that things went with warp speed in just a year that a lot of progress has been made in the understanding of what digital health can do. Um, for healthcare however we also are now seeing that slowly with kind of restrictions boiling down a little bit with the situation normalizing to the degree that it can at the moment that a lot of kind of desire is to go to things as they were before. Patients want in-person visits, doctors want in-person visits so we are post-pandemic world is definitely not going to be 100% or 90-80% 90-80% of telemedical uh, consultation, according to some estimates that have been mentioned at the HIMSS Digital Conference in August. The estimate is more that if 3% of telemedicine visits uh, happened before COVID, it's now going to go up to 10%, but not like 50 or yeah. more.
1: So, uh, it's quite an interesting um, um, question to, to that sense, and I think different people will have different Opinions on, on, on what's going to happen. I think like most digital health enthusiasts, I was quite quick to say at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, that certainly this has been the most significant event in the last decade that has pushed digital innovation in healthcare to the forefront. Funding has certainly increased. Acceptance has increased by both healthcare professionals as well as the public. The research scope is widening as well for digital health. I think it's basically been a super boost to something that people like me have been saying for the past decade. Health definitely needs digital. Perhaps if I had to reflect what will be the future and how the past two years have changed, I think all of what you and I have been saying is still, though, very relevant and positive. I think, for example, We've had a record investment quarter after quarter over the past two years. The EU is now declaring that it needs to involve more people. It needs to invest more money in digital health. And I think what's, what is also interesting and what you've said as well, that the fact that things in consultations perhaps are not going to increase that much. I think it's been echoed in a number of countries, actually. For example, recently the NHS has just said both in England and, and Scotland that they've actually launched measures. They've invested money for getting people back to the GP's office to have these face-to-face consultation. And I think it's 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 because... There are some things which obviously we can't still diagnose online or people just wanting to have that human and social element that you get less off when you're talking through a camera, really. But I think that by no means does this take anything away from telemedicine. I think it's just showing us that we're now entering a phase where we are readjusting. We're finding ways that digital and physical can actually coexist or rather Digital and traditional healthcare can coexist together in harmony. And I think we're pretty much going on to the the future now at this point. And what we really need to do is perhaps educate both the healthcare professionals on the boundaries, say if we're discussing telemedicine, on what, what telemedicine can achieve and what the limits are of telemedicine. And having that same education, but perhaps in a different narrative, The patients, whilst for the most part, it was the younger generation, perhaps, that used mostly telemedicine, the older generation certainly is able to use telemedicine as well. And there's a difference between perhaps just giving your GP a couple of blood pressure readings to something that requires physical examination. So I think that the fulcrum of what will happen in in, in the couple of years, if we're talking about telemedicine specifically, I think it's mostly going to revolve around education.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's The medical education is still, to a large extent, mostly done in an old way. So there's not a lot of education uh, and information for doctors about new technologies and new solutions and new ways of, of working that could be possible, probably to a certain extent also because there's many solutions that are still created by startups. They don't have that skill. There's also uh, too many stories that about solutions that perhaps uh, didn't have as promising effect that uh, one wished they did. There's also the skepticism because of the, the clinical reality. I did want to go back to what you mentioned before and that is the potential of technology to aid the crisis with the workforce. So perhaps just a question regarding the observations that you saw in your clinical uh, practice. I guess the most often mentioned stories are about nurses either quitting their jobs or just uh, going to different locations because of various sorts of reasons. Yeah, healthcare around the globe is under huge uh, strains because of that uh, problem and the shortage is only expected to, to increase in the future how do you see that problem and the the solutions that could address it
1: certainly the problem i think is we, we, we're just if i'm going to use medical terms just literally taking the scab of the wound at the moment I think probably if conditions don't change pretty much for for loads of people then yeah, we we might be getting more people exiting the medical career. And this is not really about money or or anything of the sort, but it's mostly, I think, has to do with burnout. Eventually, you get to a stage where if you're day after day in work, constantly going from one thing to the other, you're going to get burnt out, which will have repercussions on your mental health, is going to have repercussions on your relationships with your family, with your partner. So I think it's an ever-present and increasing issue. Now, in terms of how to address this i think there there are loads of technologies that are available to support people so first of all we're going to go from the aspect of mental health there are loads of things available nowadays and there there are a lot of different companies that offer say meditation psychologist services online which make them easily accessible which make them also available to anyone and everyone pretty much anywhere and uh, around the clock. So that's one of the things that perhaps may may be quite useful in in, uh, helping the profession. But uh, I think what we need to really use technology for is in the context of automation in healthcare. There are certain things that doctors, nurses do on repeat. There are certain things that there are certain bureaucratic um, stuff that you constantly need to type in or you need to access that may be automated and if i may perhaps draw more of an experience from my proper practice which is radiology at the moment and that's what i've been doing for the past three to four years so it's what more i'm proficient in there are a number of things that we radiologists do day in day out say tracking a lung, not you from one scan to the next which is pretty much not tedious but rather it's 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 something that can be easily done by artificial intelligence so artificial intelligence can um follow up a long module from one scan to the next it can do so perhaps a bit more accurately than i can it can get the measurements much better than i can because whilst i see the bigger picture artificial intelligence can literally (laughs) calculate that pixel by pixel and I think if if we insert all these automated bits and pieces here and there they will free up more time for the healthcare worker first of all to be able to give more time to the patient which is ultimately one of the biggest concerns as well that people have that we are we we as doctors or nurses or or any healthcare professional really doesn't have the appropriate time allocated for each patient and by doing so this can start to free up some time as well for the healthcare professional so there's obviously not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution it's more i think um, the companies and management and different healthcare institutions that need to get their healthcare workers involved in the design of what they need even technologies such as i've I've seen recently some, some technologies that are able to to detect. Uh, COPD exacerbations much, much earlier, which means that someone who is at home who has problems with the lungs because of long-term smoking, for example, depending on certain measurements that devices take, they are able to detect much earlier when the next exacerbation or the next infection is going to have, allowing doctors to intervene earlier, resulting in this patient not requiring um, hospital admission which, again, is going to start decreasing the burden on the hospital care. And I think that will then have trickling down effects on on a lot of things. So, yeah, so I think it's just healthcare institutions, management involving their healthcare professionals in designing solutions that they think are required. And maybe that will be a good start to get this kind of workforce solution a bit under control.
0: When you were speaking, all I could think about was, but when can doctors do that if they already don't have time to do anything? And if so- somehow you could get some more time for work for the healthcare professionals, like the first thing that I would do was, would be to create more normal schedules, because I think it's beyond unnatural for doctors to work shifts that they have to, but that's inevitable when you've got yeah. challenges with the workforce.
1: Yeah, 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 indeed. And obviously, healthcare, unfortunately, is not like any other industry um, you need to be available 24-7 because a heart attack or a stroke doesn't really decide the time that it's going to happen
0: I want to also talk a little bit uh, about what kind of solutions and technologies are you most uh, optimistic about apart from being the co-founder of Digital Health Malta you are also helping out with the organization of the MedTech World Summit which will take place in Malta during the 17th and the 20th of November you were the advisor to the program of this conference so which topics would you highlight
1: yeah so like you said i'm one of the advisors for the Mattech summit which will happen on the between 17th and 20th november this year in more i'm quite excited for the summit it's my first in-person attendance to a conference since ages now i think more than a year and a half quite you know incredible never had I imagined that I would not be able to meet people en masse for, for so long. But I think I'm quite looking forward to the program that we've set up. And I'm looking forward primarily to the fact that I think we've designed a program which will enable people to not just network between themselves, but also to learn from, from industry. We have speakers which are going to be global, Europe, Asia, the Americas. Uh, from So we want that different individuals from all across the globe bring their experiences. And again, it's not just related to COVID, obviously, although COVID has had maybe, like I've said before, the biggest impact to health tech over over the past decade. But we're going to focus on five main pillars in this conference that we think are the the next 10 years of of healthcare. We think that artificial intelligence will by far be the biggest things. I think we're at a stage now where we're not just using artificial intelligence as a buzzword, but rather we are seeing clinical applications of artificial intelligence. Mostly, it's still incubated, not really in the real world, but I'm sure that we'll start getting more and more research and and publications relating to artificial intelligence and its actual effect in the clinical picture. I think Internet of Medical Things is also going to be one of the One of the things that, first of all, we're going to be tackling in the conference, but I also think it's relevant for people to be aware of. And obviously, you have your regulation, which is a bit, you know, fighter, perhaps, in in the healthcare industry, you know, business. And we're also going to discuss our final pillar, the new healthcare pathway, which kind of, again, COVID might have pushed us earlier, if you want to see that way, into kind of your hybrid models, which are becoming a norm nowadays. We will also be having companies like Microsoft, who will be in attendance, and Microsoft, what we're working on a very interesting session with Microsoft, who will be streaming a live surgery through hardware and software, which I think is super exciting, and again, can be revolutionally in medical education. We'll also be having a startup competition on, on, on our second day, and that's just wonderful to see what these young companies all over the world are doing. Quite a lot of innovative stuff will, will be happening. And I think uh, as well, before I forget, I think Sigma, who will be hosting the conference would also like to extend a 50% discount to your listener If they just write to us and include MedTech Summit in the heading along with the title of, of this podcast, then we'll be able to extend that discount. And Again, we, we look forward for attendees from all over the globe to share their experience and network together after so long.
0: You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. To learn more about the MedTech World Congress, find the link in the show notes. And stay tuned. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet to be notified about new episodes automatically. As mentioned in the beginning of the show, we're starting with a series about the Nordic countries next week.